know y'all couldn't tell, there's another phone off a iPhone that's crying. All of a sudden, we didn't have any more. Didn't have it. We turn on the iPhone and say, "Well, I guess they're good for something anyway." But how's everybody this morning? Good to see you. Looking good. Well, some of you anyway, but we won't, we won't go there. But uh, if you will get your Bibles and turn with. Turn with me to First Peter chapter four, verses seven through eleven. First Peter chapter four, verses seven through eleven. Do you think you've reached the point of your life where the best of your life is still to come? Amen. That's right. Do you think you've reached the halfway point of life, perhaps? If you're a teenager, you may think that most of your life is still ahead of you. And that's the way a lot of them live, too, by the way. It's, but we all know that teenagers do pass away. They do die. And so sometimes that's not what we want to hear, but it, it does happen. We hear that quite often. If you're 50 or above, and I'm getting close to there on these days, you may think you've passed the halfway point. But we know people are living longer and better lives nowadays and lasting longer. Christian comedian Dennis Swanberg. Has anybody ever seen Dennis Swanberg? Well, Judy and I had the fortunate part back about the late 70s, early 80s, when we, we joined First Baptist Church Tylenol, which is the church where both of us are from. And Dennis Swanberg was the pastor at the time. Now, he's gone on now to be a nation, well, probably worldwide even, a comedian, Christian comedian, a tremendous guy, and does a you know, great job. If you ever want to listen to some good tapes, good funny things, look up Dennis Swanberg, because he does a great job, and I would say he's a friend of ours, but be honest with you, if he walked in the room, he wouldn't know us. That's been 20 years ago, so you know, he's getting older, that's what it is. But anyway, it's, uh, we joined First Baptist Church of Saginaw, and I remember one time he was now he would tell jokes at the pulpit and just just laugh just a good joke. And he would tie it all together and so forth. But I remember one day he now we were visiting the church back after we had left the church some years ago. And it uh, he made this comment. He he was coming back the same day too to do a revival, start a revival. And he says, I'm glad to be back in this church. The last time I was here, a 93-year-old woman surrendered her life for mission, but her mother wouldn't let her go. Now, that's just one of the things he did, but he's a tremendous comedian and just a, a great guy all together. And it's just, uh, we ran across him about two years ago at a convention we went to, and just, he's still cutting. He said he remembered us. I don't think he really did, but he, he may look like he did anyway. But, but we all know that age is a relative thing. One lady said that her five-year-old granddaughter asked her one day, Grandma, were you on the ark of Noah? Of course, she responded, Well, of course not. Her granddaughter replied, Then how did you keep from drowning? Kids have some funny ways of bringing up things, but when you're five, 18 sounds old. When you're 18, 40 sounds old. When you're 70, uh, when, you're, when you're 40, 70 sounds old. And when you're 70, 99 sounds old. When you're 99, nothing sounds old. So that's uh, a jest this morning. But anyway, let's turn to First Peter, 
chapter 4, verse 1, if you don't already have it. You what? I think it says something. Uh, if you would stand with me as we read 1 Peter, chapter 4, verses 7 through 1. You get some glasses back on for me. 7 through 11. You know what I'm talking about. It reads this way. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As to each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, that you brought us here this morning. Lord, we know we're not many in number, but at the same time we're here to worship you. And Lord, we just ask you to come down and be a part of this body. Lord, lead every word that's spoken and every part that's done. And Lord, we just pray that there be anyone in this room today, before the service ends, they would have an opportunity to come closer to you and come back to Go with us. Beginning in 1 Peter 4 1 again, let me read that just again for you. We continue to read how we can live our lives according to God's will. Let's read that verse 7 again. Uh, 7 through 11 again, I'm sorry. But the end of all things is at hand. What's he talking about? The end of all things is at hand. I believe that Peter and Paul and all the original authors of the Bible, when they were alive, they believed with every ounce of their being they Jesus was going to come back within a short period of time, and they would all see. That's why I believe it's leading into here. It's just, it's just a, a great verse. Let's continue reading in verse, um, uh, verse 7 again. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover, cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another. That's what I want to dwell on today, about that part right there. Be hospitable to one another. Now, I know that it goes on and it talks about uh, having strangers in our house and so forth and all these kind of things. Invite a stranger in. Go ahead and read if you want to. It's right in the next few verses. But yet, I don't think that's really what it's talking about. It is, but it's more to it than that, I guess so. It's... uh, Sometimes, I guess in our day and age, I'd, I'd be a little careful about coming back to told thing in my house that I knew nothing about. And he'd come up to my door and knock on the door and, hey, I need a place to stay tonight. Is he talking about that? I don't think so. Because that's a dangerous situation in our world today to do that. But at the same time, I do believe it's saying be, be hospitable to people. Could it be our brothers and sisters in Christ? Could it be our church members? Could it be whatever it is? But we need to reach out with love to people that have need. We've lived in Papa Stove now for a little over five, well, about five and a half years. And I can honestly say, I don't believe I've seen a city, even the bigger ones, that have more of a homeless problem than we have in this As a group, not two. It's, it's, it's everywhere around here. You can drive down the street and you can see people pouring parts and you can see other things. And, and you just, now that may be a little 
again, it tells us here to be hospitable, hospitable to others. Are we supposed to reach out to those people? I mean, we are you. I mean, we are. It may no, be no more than a dollar if you want to help them this way, or whatever it may be, because the Bible plainly tells us to be hospitable. I can't stop it. Hospitable to people that come into our lives, cross paths with us. We all know that age is a relative thing. As we grow older, I think we get a little softer for people that have hard times. We see them many times with their ragged clothes. I mean, you guys can't. What can we do with you? I wonder how many of them, if we were to share the gospel of Christ, First uh, Peter four one, the beginning of First Peter, and the beginning of seven. First Peter four seven to eleven. Let's start there. But the end of thing of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers, and above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of be hospitable to one another without grumbling as to each uh, as, as to one another without grumbling as each one has received a gift. Minister it one to another as stewards of the manifold grace of God. Let me ask you this morning. You don't have to speak out, but do you know what your spiritual gift is? You're willing to raise your hand. You're going to tell me when you say You know what your spiritual gift is. That's exactly what it's talking about. God has given us each one spiritual gift, and He expects us to use them. It may be the gift of hospitality. I don't know. It may be the, be the gift of ministry to teenagers. It could go on the list as long as this chapter is. But He tells us very plainly that we're to be hospitable to people. Maybe as you drive down the highway, you see somebody. You stop it off on the road to drive them. The beginning of First Peter 4, 7 to 11, we can see read how we can live our lives according to God's plan, God's will. There are three important directives we must understand and obey. They are prayer, love, and service. Which one's your favorite? And follow God's direction in those three areas, the rest of your life can be the best of your life. Let's look at the first one. Pray with a sense of urgency. Now, why does it tell us to do that? Why does it say we need to pray with a sense of urgency? First Peter 4, 7, once again, says, The end of things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. What does that tell us? I believe he's saying that Jesus Christ is going to come back soon. Now, I know we've been hearing that for years and years and years, probably most of my life anyway, and it hasn't happened yet. And the tendency is, well, that's just, that's just so much to look good in the Bible. You know, 
It's not going to be a hundred years from now. I don't think. It may be. But I don't think that's it. Have you been, ever been watching a football game when the tumorous drill sounded? They go into this totally different mode of playing football. They call plays from the line of scrimmage. They hustle back to the line of scrimmage and call plays without a huddle. They perform at a higher level. That's what we should be doing right now. Peter says, the end is near. So let's start praying as if the two-minute warning has just ended. Well, that wouldn't call Peter would. That would not work. But it's what we should be doing. We ought to be getting excited because the last days seem like they're upon us. It almost seems like we're just waiting for the trumpet to sound and we'll all be gone. But don't we hope we don't do that? Because there are many of our friends, our family, even our family churchmen. But if that would happen today, they'd be left out. They would not be gone. Nothing. Kind of crass about it, but it just the fact is a lot of people that call themselves Christians probably will not be on of the way they live. They show no signs of it. Let's start praying as if the two-minute warning has just sounded. When you read the letters of Paul and Peter and some of the other first-century Christians, we word this. I don't like the way I just started to come out with it. But it, it's clear that they believe the return of Jesus will be in their lifetime. They believe it with every part of their body. They were ready to see Jesus. They watched for him. They were expecting to see him and all these other things. It's been 2,000 years and Jesus still hasn't returned. Were they wrong? I don't think so. I don't think they were. That's the way Jesus told us to live. Even ourselves. He told us to be anticipating Jesus coming back. He told us to prepare ourselves for the coming back of Jesus Christ. So I believe with all my heart that they were sincere. They just missed it a little bit, but they were still sincere about it. That's the way Jesus told us to live. In Mark chapter 13, verses 33 through 36, he was preaching about the time of his return, and he said these words. Listen to these words. This is Jesus speaking. Take heed, watch, and pray, for you do not know when the time is. It is like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servant and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of a rooster, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he finds you sleep. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus told us to be watching be looking for Jesus Christ, because He's coming back. He's coming back one day. It may not be in our lifetime, but He's coming back. Our job is to work, to preach, to pray with a sense of urgency in everything we do. You say, well, we've been waiting all of our life, and we haven't seen signs yet. Well, that doesn't mean it's not going to be tomorrow. That doesn't mean it won't be next week. That doesn't mean it's not going to happen very shortly. And I believe the Bible teaches that it is. But yet, remember, you can't put God on a schedule. He's not going to, you know, you can't pray to him and say, Okay, God, I'm, I'm tired of waiting. When are you coming back? And he sends you an answer. That's 
told him that when I got there. It's my fraternity. Anyway, our job is to work, to preach, to pray with a sense of urgency. Jesus himself said on the last page of the Bible, Revelation 21 7, Behold, I come quickly. Wait a minute. It's been 2,000 years. That's not very quick. But yet, for Jesus, that's what God's going to do. He could come back at any moment. He could come back today. He could come back before this service ends. When you're facing an urgent situation, the first thing you should do is pray. When Jesus was facing a cross, he went into the garden and prayed. He told his disciples to watch and pray. The great missionary to China, Hudson Taylor, Hudson Taylor, wrote, I have seen many men work without praying, though I have never seen any good come out of it. But I have never seen a man pray without working. Since the return of Jesus Christ is closer than ever, we must pray with a sense of urgency. We don't have unlimited time to tell people not to pray. Let's just suppose that somehow we receive a big old note from God today, and when we walked to this church either tonight or next week, there was a bank said, Get ready, it's next week. That would probably change everybody. with a show of hospitality. First Peter 4, 8 and 9 says, Above all things have fervent love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now I know that this sound might be a somewhat dangerous thing to do because you just don't let anybody in your house if you don't know nowadays. And I'm sure there are exceptions to it, but you've got to be careful. We live in a dangerous world now. Love is the most important command we can follow. Jesus said all the commandments in the Old Testament could be summarized in only two. And here they are. Number one, love God with all of your being. Number two, love your neighbor as yourself. Can we do that? Can we do that? Can we see somebody that's down and out and maybe has sickness or what it may be, even a church member? Do we do that for people that we don't even know? I'm sure we do sometimes, but yet that can be a dangerous thing to do. Peter gives us two important qualities of love in this passage. Peter writes, love covers a multitude of sins. This doesn't mean when I love it covers up my sins. It means the best kind of love covers the sins of the person we are loving. Proverbs 10, verse 12 says, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. The language in Proverbs 10 and 1 Peter of covering sins is a reference to something that happened back in Genesis chapter 9. You probably heard the story of Noah and the ark. Well, let me share with you a little bit. Maybe you haven't heard the whole part of it. It's a reference to to a story heard in the, of the story of Noah and Ark. Noah was a righteous man who obeyed God. When God told him to build a big boat, and it was a big boat too, by the way, 
because a worldwide flood was coming. Because of his faith and his obedience, Noah and his family were saved through the flood. But do you <clears throat> but do you know what happened to Noah after the flood? We all know who Noah was. He was a man of God. He was a Christian. He was all these things. But listen to what the Bible says about it. You don't get this part of the story usually in Sunday school class, but it's in the Bible. It's a reminder that nobody is perfect except you. Noah planted a vineyard, grew grapes, and got the wine, got into a wine making business. He sampled his own wine and got so drunk that he took off all his clothes. His grown sons could have laughed at him or mocked him or put him to shame for that matter. But because they loved him, they covered his nakedness. Two of them slipped into the room with a cloak and walked backwards so they wouldn't see his nakedness. And they placed the cloak over him to cover him. Why? Because they loved him. He was their dad. And that's what the Bible means when it says in 1 Corinthians 13, 5, Love does not behave evil, does not seek its own, is not provoked, it thinks no evil. Get rid of your lips. What is on your lips? What's your favorite thing? You need to get rid of it. You need to get it out of your life. Get rid of your lips. Is there somebody you know who needs your love? I guarantee you. Every one of us. When you love like Noah's boys, you cover a multitude of sins. They didn't want their dad to be so they did that little episode, but yet they tried to keep him covered and not let the shame of what he had done come out. In 1978, some of you maybe remember this, but in 1978, the Gator Bowl, Ohio State coach Woody Hayes lost his temper and slugged one of the Clemson players. He was on national TV. He was fired that same night. He was facing shame and disgrace from every part of the football world. A few weeks after that, there was a huge banquet for Dallas Cowboys at the time. Dallas Cowboys head coach Tom Landry was speaking. Many professional and college football players were there and coaches were there. Tom Landry asked if he could bring a personal gift, and they gave him permission. His guest was Woody Hayes. He was covering up a multitude of sins by showing love to that coach that next day. Don't you wish that every time you messed up, you had somebody there to cover your sins for you? I don't know about you, but he would get busy in my life. And yes, that's what we're supposed to do. When a fellow brother or sister messes up, we should go to him and ask the question. They may have messed up bad. It may be a little busy as they call it. But yet they still deserve our forgiveness. Not that they need our forgiveness. They need God's forgiveness. But yet that's the first step of it. I've got you covered. Because Romans 5, 8 tells us that God demonstrated His own love for us in, the, in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Don't we want Him to do the same thing for everybody else? Next week, I may be on that meeting list of forgiveness. 
What if God decided to turn His back on them? That's why they need God's forgiveness. That's why we also need to be forgiven. Love cares for strangers. Look at verse Peter four, First Peter four, verse nine. Above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Love is the most important command we can have. Jesus said all the commandments of men of the old in the Old Testament to be summarized of these two. Love God with all your being and love your neighbor as yourself. That's that simple. That's not complicated. We don't know what's in the past. We don't know where we'll mess up next week. Not too long ago, I was oh yeah, down the walls. I was at a desk in my, my house. And I was just thinking about all the preachers that we started about the same time together and took a look at. I started naming off several and several and several and took a look at. Came to be about really about twenty three, if I remember right. And out of those twenty three. Over 18 declared that they were sexual sin, physical sin, what does it mean? These are good friends. We started out about the same time together. Within, within a year of each other, anyway. Some of them were dynamic preachers. But yet, we can't the same In one moment of the week, Satan had planted in you like a wild rose. He'll bring you down as low as he can get you. These are these, I can't think of them. I may be off on that one. Twenty-three good preachers. I'm not part of that crowd, by the way. I'm not saying I'm part of that crowd. But they were. They were good preachers. And some of them already had good sized churches and they were growing those churches for the Lord. But what happened? Well, in most of those cases, they messed up. They saw a little secretary, a good looking lady. Again, Romans 5, verse 8 tells us that, that, that God demonstrated His own love to, for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How was it sinner? Every one of you were sinner. And if it wasn't for the grace of God, we still be here. But God loved you enough to reach down and maximize your life. Do it again every day. Peter points out in 1 Peter 4, verse 9, that one of the most visible experiences of love is hospitality. Don't confuse the two. Entertaining involves having your good friends in your home. People know, people you know will enjoy that. Hospitality, inviting strangers in your home, that's without knowing what you're Be almost afraid to let some guy just walk around and hey, can I spend the night with you now? Yeah, come on in. You can probably sleep in the next room with a lady pistol, just in case they ask you a question. But it, it, it's crazy nowadays. But yet, hospitality is an expression of love that never seeks recognition. 
and entertaining the focus is on the host or on their beautiful home or cooking skills or whatever it may be. On the needs, the focus is on the needs of the guests. Hospitality goes against our self-centered nature. It's easy to neglect hospitality because we feel so much more comfortable hiding out with our own family and our own our self-centeredness is like gravity. Gravity is a powerful force that pulls everything toward the center of the planet. It's not all bad because gravity is what keeps us glued to this world. You don't just happen to fly. If we didn't have gravity, we would always just be floating up in the air. That might not be too bad either, come think of it, but it, we, we don't do that. It's what keeps us from flying off into space. Gravity, our selfish nature, causes us to want to draw within ourselves, within our homes, within our rooms. It's not all bad because it is our sense of self that causes us to want to protect ourselves. Whenever you fly in an airplane, now let me preface this that I do not like to fly. I've flown just a few times in my life, and I didn't like it, and I don't want to do it again. As I was a nervous wreck, you know, I don't mind the flying part. I just mind the crashing part. And it happened quite often. So I do not like to fly. In fact, when my younger son moved out to Lubbock, Texas about 10 years ago, or a little bit longer now, Judy drove out there with him. I would rather drive for eight hours than just to fly. That's just how I am. I don't like to fly. If you want me to go somewhere on your airplane, you better get one close to the ground. So that's where I'm standing. Genesis chapter 18, Abraham demonstrated hospitality. Three strangers approached his property. They were angels. But they looked like ordinary people. Ordinary people. Adam didn't, uh, Abraham didn't realize who they were until later. He welcomed them into his house, washed their feet, fed them, had a great breakfast. These were total strangers. If you never open your home to strangers, you may miss one of the greatest opportunities on earth of meeting strangers. Go back and read some stories in the Bible. But they were entertained by angels. And what a difference that made. The Bible says in Hebrews 13, verse 2, Hebrews 13, verse 2, do not forget to entertain strangers for so by, by so doing it, some have unwillingly entertained angels. I think I read that down. I guess I just forgot. If you want the rest of your life to be the best of your life, try ramping up your hospitality. Start looking for opportunities to have strangers and get to know them. Get to know them. Now, I said a while ago, we got, you could probably drive down this main highway out here, going toward Walmart, and on any given day, probably see 10 People walking, carrying luggage, pushing luggage, loading their books. If they walk with that, that may be a stranger that I have to meet. I don't know. If you want the rest of your life to be the best of your life, try ramping up your hospitality. Start looking up for opportunities to, to meet strangers. By the way, this is a point of interest. When you start meeting people like this, then you begin to be in your face. 
are supposed to be doing, talking to people, sharing. Each one of us could could use whatever gift we have been received to serve others. If you're here today, you've got a gift that God gives you. It may be hospitality. It may be serving. It may be ministering to others. God's missing. You're missing the blessing that God's got for you. You were not saved to fit. You were saved to serve. In every capacity. God has given you at least one spiritual gift to serve. The spiritual gift is a special ability. I don't know what it is. Only you know that. And by the way, just in case you would like to find out, you don't know what your special gift is. I know we've got some things around here, some little tips on it, and it's not great or anything else. But if you'd like to find out, you just tell these places, and they'll tell you how to find your special gift. If you'd like to hear it, if you're interested, see me handle it. Can get you one if you want to have it. I've probably got mine. I just don't know where they're at. But you can get them in But anyway, if you can use this, and it's not a miraculous thing or anything like that. It just, you lift your life and this life and so forth. And then they can carefully show you what you're most concerned about. It's called a spiritual gift. Inventory, yes, that's what I did. I'm going to come out. Spiritual gift inventory. I would encourage you, if you don't have one, Miss Amber can get you one, or we'll get you one, one or the other. Anyway, let's move on. In his book, The Purpose Driven Life, Rick Warren writes these words. If you're not involved in any service or ministry, what excuse have you been using? Abraham was old. Jacob was insecure. Joseph was abused. Moses stuttered. Samson was a codependent. Rahab was immoral. David had an affair and all kinds of family problems. Elijah was suicidal. Jeremiah was depressed. Jonah was reluctant. Naomi was a widow. Peter was impulsive and not and hot tempered. Martha worried a lot. Thomas had doubt. Paul had poor health, and Timothy was timid. That is quite a Variety of misfits, isn't it? But God used each one of his children. Isn't that great? And I had a bunch of things on there I could carry myself. And yet, every one of us here, we still can be used by God if we're ready. Depending on how you count, there are 14 to 18 different spiritual gifts mentioned in the New Testament. The most important thing we discover is 1 Peter 4 is that spiritual gifts are generally fall into the broad category. Number one, speaking gifts and service gifts. Some of you have the ability to teach or use your words to encourage others. Others of you feel inadequate because you don't feel comfortable speaking. No problem. You may have the gift of the ability to change cycles and emotions. I guarantee that you use your gift. Or visit the hospital. Or set up chairs and tables when we have a function in the church. That may be your gift. You say, that's not much of a gift. But God has given you. Whatever your gift is, you need to employ it. With God's authority, your gift is teaching and coaching. Now, I say that because every one of us is called to be a speaker of God's word. I don't care who you are. Yeah, I'm the pastor of the church. 
depend on God's strength. If you're just a servant, here's your study. Depend on God's strength. Serving the Lord can be physically draining sometimes. And if you try to do it in your own strength, you are going to fail. I promise you. It's God's strength that's operating. The great Bible teacher, Donald J. Barnhouse, wrote about an American citizen who was once arrested in the midst of Latin American revolution. He was sentenced to stand in front of the firing squad simply for being an American. And the, the amba- American ambassador was so outraged, he wrapped an American flag around his body and stood between the citizens fixing to be executed and the American flag. He said, if you shoot this man, you will have to shoot this flag. And if you shoot this flag, you will incur the, incur the wrath of the entire American nation and you will die. It was. The citizen was released in the same way we are ambassadors for Christ. We are to wrap ourselves in righteousness. So wherever you serve, whether it's in the nursery or the foreign missions field, remember you have the authority of heaven. Conclusion, let's go. One of the heroes of the faith that I enjoy reading about is a guy named Hershey Taylor. Anybody know who that is? I won't. I won't go to explain it right now, but Hershey Taylor in 1849, he was bored, was a bored 17-year-old son. Raised in a wealthy Christian home, he really had no interest in the Bible or spiritual matters. He was extremely shy and spent much of his time in his room reading. One day, he was so bored that he read a Christian book that referred to the millions of people in China who had never heard about Jesus. That day, God broke his heart. And from the mo- that moment, his passion was to share the love of God with the Chinese people. At age 21, he left America, he traveled to China, and began trying to spread the gospel. But his first few years were frustrated because very few people responded to the message. One day, a wise Chinese man pointed out the Hudson's English street-leading way. It had extra buttons on the sleeves and the back. But there were no buttonholes. He asked why. Hudson Taylor realized at that moment his English style dress was distracting to his listeners. He discovered God didn't want him to be, want the Chinese to become like English Christians, but to become like Chinese Christians. He later returned to Egypt, uh, England, England, where he translated the New Testament into Chinese and convinced others to join him back in China. He returned with several other missionaries and married one of them. Hudson Taylor faced many hardships, including the death of his wife and child, but God gave him the strength to maintain his work. In one city, a middle-aged man was one of the leading officers of the Reformed Buddhist group. He had long understood by truth Truth by studying Judaism, Taoism, and the writings of Confucius. When Hudson Taylor shared the good news of Jesus with him, this man found the peace and truth for which he had been searching for years. He became a Christian and started preaching to his fellow Chinese. Shortly after his conversion, he asked Hudson Taylor, How long had how long the message of Jesus Christ had been known in you? 
Hudson Taylor said, well, at least for three or four hundred years. And he replied, what? Hundreds of years and you have had these glad tidings and only now has it come to speaking to you? My father thought I could preach for more than 20 years without coming to Oh, why did you not come to There's a question mark. Hudson Taylor was a small man in his stature. He was weak physically, but because he trusted God, today he is considered a spiritual giant. He devoted 50 years of his life to sharing the love of God with the Chinese. As a result of his work, he died in 1905. There were 250 missionaries stationed and over 100,000 new Christian Chinese. The secret of Hudson Taylor's effectiveness was that he learned to depend upon God's of his own. If you want to experience the fulfillment of life, you must learn the secrets of Hudson Taylor. He wrote, I myself, for instance, am not especially gifted and am shy by nature, but by but my gracious and merciful God and Father inclined himself to me. And when I was weak in faith, he strengthened me. While I was still young, he taught me in my helplessness and to pray even about the little things. And it's another my pastor over what he said. He said that through his life he went through three stages of understanding the secrets of God's strength. I used to ask God if he would come and help me. Then I asked God if I might come and help him. And then I ended it by asking God to do his work. If you made that discovery, if you do, the rest of your life can be the best of your life. Here's how. Pray like you've never prayed before. Because God's clock is running down. Show love to others so deeply that you'll welcome strangers and connect to your life if necessary. Give your life away to others, but do it in God's strength. Thank you.